Hello, and welcome to episode number 17 of the JS Bach Files. I'm Terence O'Grady, and today we're going to take a look at part two of Bach's St. John Passion. In the first part of the Passion, which we talked about in the last episode, we've seen Bach weave together recitatives, arias, choruses, and chorales to tell the first part of the Passion story according to St. John's account, with a little assist from St. Matthew when it came to describing Peter's heartbreak about denying Jesus three times. Now, following the sermon, Bach's setting resumes with another chorale, one by Michael Weisse, which summarizes the story to that point. The text is, Christ, who makes us blessed and has done no wrong, was for us in the night seized like a thief, led before godless people, and falsely accused, derided, mocked, and spat upon, as the scripture says. This is followed by a long series of recitatives featuring the evangelist and Pilate, with the former always introducing the latter statements, interrupted by brief choruses sung by the angry crowd, sometimes referred to as turba choruses. The evangelist begins by setting the scene. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Hall of Judgment, and it was early, and they did not go into the Hall of Judgment so that they would not become defiled, but would be able to eat the Passover meal. Then Pilate came out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And then we hear the first chorus. If this man were not a criminal, we would not have brought him before you. Although the text is a short one, the chorus is powerful. The tension and excitement build quickly, increased by ascending chromatic surges in the bass line and in other voices as well. Clearly, the crowd wants to deal with Jesus quickly, almost tripping over the words in an effort to get them out as fast as possible. We'll hear the recitative and the first part of the chorus. After the chorus, the exchange continues, with the evangelist introducing each speaker. Then Pilate said to them, Then take him away and judge him according to your law. Then the Jews said to him, and we launch into another chorus, not identical, but sharing some of the same tension-producing elements, with the high strings providing an accompaniment of driving sixteenth notes, the various choral lines ascend to one dramatic climax after another, as the chorus sings, We are not allowed to put anyone to death, making clear their bloody intentions. (laughs) 
recitative shared by Pilate and Jesus follows, again with introductions to each speech from the evangelist. Musically speaking, the exchange is almost sedate after the frantic shouting of the crowd, but certain words or phrases, such as when the evangelist refers to what sort of death he would die, are singled out for more emotive musical gestures. And although Jesus' responses always remain stoic, he is allowed the briefest of melodic flourishes when he refers to the fact that if his kingdom were of this world, then his servants would fight so that he would not be handed over to the Jews. The chorale that follows is based on the chorale Ah Holy Jesus, written in 1630 by Johann Hermann, the tune written ten years later by Johann Krüger. This is a new version of the chorale heard earlier under the title O Great Love, now appearing in A minor rather than G minor and with a new harmonization. The earlier chorale was based on verse 7 of the original chorale. This one is from verse 8. The text is, Ah, great king, great in all ages, how can I make my faithfulness in any way adequate? No human heart can conceive what gift is fit to offer you. My mind cannot imagine what can be compared to your mercy. How can I match your loving deeds by anything I do? A lengthy recitative follows in which Pilate questions Jesus, beginning, So you are a king? Jesus answered, you say it, I am a king. For this I was born and came into the world, so that I should testify to the truth. Anyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Musically, this is presented in a calm, restrained tone, with only a single florid melisma when Jesus states, Anyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate makes his famous response, What is truth? rather dispassionately, but then goes back to the crowd and tells them, I find no fault in him but you have a custom that I release one prisoner to you. Do you wish then that I should release the king of the Jews? But the musical restraint that has characterized the exchange up to this point is instantly shattered as the crowd cries out in a brief but powerful declamatory chorus, Not this man, but Barabbas. <laughs> Wollt ihr nun, dass ich euch den Juden König losgebe? Da schrien sie wieder allesamt und sprachen: Nicht diesen, diesen nicht, nicht diesen Zungenbauer, nicht diesen Zungenbauer. With a dramatic leap to a sharp dissonance, the evangelist cries that Barabbas was a murderer. Then, in an exceptional and highly agitated melismatic passage replete with 16th notes and 32nd notes and 16th note triplets, he declares, then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. We hear next a bass arioso representing the anguished response of a believer, the text from Brocchus, taking note of Jesus' sorrow and employing the pietist view and language of the period, the benefits which can accrue from it. Consider my soul with anxious delight, with bitter pleasure, and a heart partly oppressed, that your highest good depends on Jesus' sorrow. How for you, from the thorns that pierce him, heavenly flowers blossom. You can gather so much sweet fruit from his wormwood. Therefore, 
look unceasingly towards him. Musically, the arioso features a lyrical melody, almost but not quite sweet, with the bitterness referred to in the text made palpable by the frequent dissonances, pedal effects, and some large and angular melodic leaps, like the leap of an augmented fourth or tritone at the word schmerzen or sorrow. None of these stylistic elements are remarkable or strikingly unusual in and of themselves, but they have the combined effect of rendering the lyrical poignance somewhat uncomfortable, if not actually bitter. Altogether, it's a wonderful and most subtle example of Bach's word painting. We'll hear only the beginning. Following the bass arioso is a full-fledged tenor aria in da capo form, with the first section repeated in full, again with text by Brockus. The instrumental ritonello that opens the aria immediately introduces two violas d'amour, playing in thirds, presenting a distinctive rhythmic figure, a sixteenth followed by two thirty-seconds, two of them actually back-to-back. The violas playing in thirds soon expand out to sixths, as the phrase is repeated and elongated, and as it moves down the scale. But although the texture suggests a pastoral mood, the key is C minor and the overall effect is somewhat elegiac, or at least a continuation of the unsettled mood of the previous movement. The ritornello is only four bars long, but manages to squeeze in quite a few fast-moving passages based on the 16th and 30 seconds I mentioned earlier, including in the continual bass part, which soon joins in with the same figure, but employs it to move up the scale just as the violas begin to descend. Here is the instrumental ritornello. The text is again pietist in nature, rather graphically so this time, hoping to elicit an emotional response from the listener. Ponder well how his back, blood-stained all over, is like the sky, where after the deluge from our flood of sins has abated, there appears the most beautiful rainbow as a sign of God's mercy. The tenor melody, when it enters, begins by appropriating the short viola motives from the opening ritonello, but quickly goes on to demonstrate a much more lyrical, sustained line than in the previous arioso, 
against which the violas naturally continue their earlier motives. The melody builds carefully using sequential repetitions to its first climax, as the text compares Jesus' blood-stained back to the sky after the deluge. We'll hear the tenor's melody until that point. Plugs a somewhat different melodic climax when we again reach that point in the text a few measures later. After an instrumental ritonello based on the original motives, we encounter a new section. The text here continues the comparison between Christ's bloody back and the sky, now referring specifically to the most beautiful rainbow as a sign of God's mercy. Some earlier motives make a reappearance, especially the ascending pattern of 16th and 30 seconds in the bass I referred to earlier. And the vocal melody itself echoes the same pattern initially, but soon new ideas are heard in the tenor's line, even as the violas continue to reference their original motives from the ritonello. References to the word deluge are given a somewhat frenetic musical treatment, and an extremely long and vocally demanding melisma is heard at the mention of the beautiful rainbow. But on the whole, the middle section is quiet, even somewhat restrained for the most part. A brief recitative from the evangelist follows, And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and placed it on his head and put a purple robe on him and said, and then we hear another chorus representing the soldiers this time, this one in a more stately tempo and less frantic and with its fugal imitation imbued with something of a mock dignity as the chorus sings, Hail to you, King of the Jews. As the chorus proceeds and the words are repeated, the bustling 16th note accompaniment in the strings provides an almost taunting quality. The music makes it clear that the crowd, in this case the soldiers, believes its victory to be complete. Here is the preceding recitative continuing into the first part of the chorus. Und die und satzten sie auf sein Haupt und legten ihm ein Purpurkleid an und sprachen. This is followed by a very dramatic series of recitatives. The evangelist describes how the soldiers strike Jesus. Afterwards, Pilate comes out again saying, I bring him out to you so that you know I find no fault with him. The evangelist then relates that Jesus is then presented to the crowd wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pilate announces, Look, this is the man. And the chief priests and officers immediately cry out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. We'll hear the recitative leading up to this and the first part of the chorus, which is notable for its suspended dissonances layered initially by the upper voices but later spreading throughout the whole texture against the agitated musical motives 
proclaimed by tenor and bass. Und gaben die Backen Streiche, da ging Pilatus wieder heraus und sprach zu ihnen, Seht, ich führe ihn heraus zu euch, dass ihr erkennet, dass ich keine Schuld an ihm finde. Also ging Jesus heraus und trug eine Dornenkrone und Purpurkleid. Und er sprach zu ihnen, seht, welch ein Mensch. Da hielt die Hornpriester und die Diener sahen, Schrien sie und sprachen. In the next recitative, Pilate says, Take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The crowd responds quickly with, We have a law, and according to the law he should die, because he made himself the Son of God. Bach sets this text as a fugue, which, austere and uncompromising, is often thought of as the musical equivalent of the law. In the key of F major, the basses begin the two-bar subject that has a distinctive syncopated figure in the second bar, which is imitated in turn by tenors, altos, and sopranos in strict fashion. The countersubject is even more rhythmically distinctive than the subject, and features a dramatic drop of a seventh before continuing on to another new idea, again syncopated and featuring the conspicuous sequential repetition of an ascending fourth which becomes one of the most readily identifiable features of the fugue as it proceeds. After just 12 measures in the introduction of the second part of the text, because he made himself the son of God, this last idea comes into prominence for a brief episode. Then the fugue subject and its companions return along with the first line of the text, as Bach shifts the tonality to E-flat major. The fugue subject and countersubject are bandied about as Bach begins to introduce dissonant suspensions above them, a common ploy in Bach's choral fugues. The subject returns in the original key of F major, but the actual imitation never gets a chance to start up again, as the chorus is cut off by the evangelist recitative. We'll hear the first part of the fugue. In the next recitative, the evangelist describes how Pilate becomes uncertain and wishes to question Jesus further. When Jesus does not respond to him, Pilate asks, 
Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you, and I have the power to set you free? Jesus replied, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you has the greater guilt. From then on, Pilate endeavored to set him free. Harmonically, the recitative ranges quite widely from A minor at the beginning and through G minor, a distantly related key. It eventually moves back to A minor, but touches on other tonal bases on the way, some of them also distantly related, before its surprisingly tender conclusion on the final words of the text. We'll hear the end of the recitative exchange, beginning with Jesus informing Pilate, you would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. Du hättest keine Macht über mich, wenn sie dir nicht wäre von oben herabgegeben. Darum, der mich überantwortet hat, der hat's größere Sinde. Following the recitative, we encounter the seventh chorale of the Passion. Its text, taken from an aria in Postel's setting of the Passion and linking to Pilate's last statement. In many respects, it represents the central message of the entire Passion. Through your imprisonment, Son of God, must our freedom come. Your prison is the throne of grace, the refuge of all believers. If you had not accepted slavery, our slavery would have been eternal. The famous melody by Johann Hermann Schein is set in E major, the key in which the previous recitative concluded, and the harmonization is simple but highly expressive with multiple lush dissonances. We'll hear the first part of the chorale. But this moment of quiet contemplation is broken off when the evangelist introduces another angry and demanding chorus, the crowd cynically aligning itself with Caesar and, bringing back the previous fugue theme, sings, If you release this man, then you are not Caesar's friend, for anyone who makes himself king is against Caesar. We'll hear only the first part. Sprachen. Es ist du in diesem Bus, so bist du des Kaisers froh. Es ist du in diesem Bus, so bist du des Kaisers froh. Es ist du in diesem Bus, so bist du des Kaisers froh. Es ist du in diesem Bus, so bist
Pilate leads Jesus out and says to the crowd, Look, this is your king. But they respond angrily once again, shouting, Away with him, away with him, crucify him, with short, insistent motives tossed back and forth between the voices, to which dissonant suspensions are eventually added. We'll hear the first part of the chorus. Pilate then says to them, Shall I crucify your king? But the chief priests immediately answered, We have no king but Caesar. The evangelist recitative that follows is one of the most expressive in the entire Passion. The text is, Then he handed him over to be crucified. They took Jesus and led him away, and he carried his cross and went to the place which is called the place of the skull, that is, in Hebrew, Golgotha. Emotional intervals abound. At the word crucified, Bach's melody outlines a full diminished seventh chord, and other diminished seventh chords are inserted liberally. The resulting harmonic progression is in no way random. It's actually perfectly logical but there's no question that the cumulative effect of the diminished seventh chords and chromatic movement is an unusually high level of intensity. And the final phrase of the recitative, where the evangelist refers to Golgotha, is unusually tortured. A breathless and intense bass aria comes next, one that embodies not just the text, which is again by Brockus, but the sweeping inevitability of what is to come in the narrative. It is soon joined by choral interjections from the tenors, altos, and sopranos in a very unusual relationship. Hurry, you tormented souls, leave your dens of torment. Hurry, where to? To Golgotha. Take the wings of faith, fly, where to? To the hill of the cross. There your salvation flourishes. The opening ritonello establishes most of the key melodic material. It begins with the violins and violas in a sweeping, ascending line in 16th notes in 3A time, based on the melodic minor form of the G minor scale, 
or in other words, a G minor scale with a sixth and seventh scale degrees both raised. The sharply ascending contour of these charging sixteenth notes breaks off on the very last sixteenth of bar two, which dips down a third, but the descending third is just a launching point for the next ascending motive, two sixteenths and an eighth that goes shooting up a G minor triad. And we're not finished with this dramatic ascent. In the next bar, as the chord changes to dominant, we leap up a dominant chord with a new, equally distinctive rhythmic motive. Eventually, after the four bars, this torrent of mostly ascending notes peaks and starts working its way downward. But then, in the second eight bars of the Ritonello, we begin the upward climb again, more methodically this time, as Bach presents one of those familiar figuration patterns where the top note of a repeated series of sixteenths is rising while surrounded by a pattern of repeated notes holding to the original pitch level. For the last four bars of the Ritonello, the upper strings break the pattern and head downward to prepare for its cadence on G minor. The figuration pattern I just referred to is not as complex as it sounds from my description, and you'll be able to hear it without much difficulty. I'll play the example in a minute, but first let me mention briefly what's happening at the bottom of the texture, in the continual bass line. Starting in measure 3, the bass line imitates the upper strings an octave lower for three bars. Then it breaks off its imitation but it continues to echo some patterns from the upper strings and reinforces the ascending motion of the last eight bars of the ritonello with its own simpler ascending pattern. So, there's a lot going on, and it all happens very quickly. Here's the opening 16-bar ritonello. When the bass soloist enters, it recreates the sweeping ascending sixteenths that open the ritonello, all on the word hurry, and then moves on to a slightly slower moving pattern of eighth notes, influenced to some degree by the ritonello's melody, but not identical to it, and demonstrating larger and more dramatic leaps at each repetition of the opening phrase of the text, hurry you tormented souls. Even if the bass melody moves a little more slowly at times, the strings and continuo compensate with alternating repetitions of the same ascending sixteenth note pattern. Eventually, the bass soloist also works into something very much like the ascending figuration pattern I described earlier, at which point the string accompaniment is somewhat simplified. Meanwhile, while Bach moves on to the second line of text, Leave Your Den of Torment, the G minor tonality, which had been secure up to that point, yields to a more chromatic passage complete with an arpeggio of a full diminished seventh chord. We'll hear from the entrance of the bass soloist until right before the chorus enters. The next section is quite extraordinary. As the bass appears to begin the text over again on the word hurry, 
the chorus I referred to earlier leaps in, interrupting him by inserting voin, where or where to, three times. The bass then begins again on the word hurry, and is again interrupted, five times in all. When the choral interruptions finally cease, at least for the moment, the bass sings on a tritone, the most dissonant of intervals and sometimes referred to as the devil's interval, on the words to Golgotha. Just five bars later, the bass repeats the line after a dramatic fermata on the chorus's repeated voin. But this time, the words to Golgotha are treated as a cadence to end a section of the aria. After an instrumental ritonello, the bass introduces the next section of text. Take the wings of faith, fly to the hill of the cross, there your salvation flourishes. But when the text is repeated, the chorus once again provides interjections. Take the wings of faith, fly, and the chorus again interjects voin, voin. This pattern repeats several times in the course of the aria, and this striking interaction between soloist and chorus gives the aria a unique personality within the passion. We'll hear where the chorus first comes in to interrupt the bass soloist. At this point in the narrative, it will come as no surprise that the following recitative by the evangelist is a dramatic one. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus in the middle. And Pilate wrote a title and placed it on the cross, and there was written, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many Jews read this title, for the place was near the city where Jesus was crucified, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. At least in part because of its diabolical association, the tritone is also seen as the musical symbol of the crucifixion, and we encounter one almost immediately as Bach sets the first line of text. The tonality in the opening bars is also marked by a series of chromatic chords and general instability, but the music is by no means intense from beginning to end. We stabilize briefly in the key of E-flat major as Pilate places the title on the cross Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Here, the tempo slows down to adagio, and the words are presented in a restrained but almost regal manner in D-flat major. But the restless chromatic harmonies return immediately afterwards, and, when the text again refers to Jesus being crucified, we hear a strident, descending diminished seventh in the melody. Die 
dieser Überschrift lasen viel Juden, denn die Städte waren nah bei der Stadt, da Jesus gekreuziget ist. The next chorus, sung by the chief priests, whose victory is now secured, is devoid of the frantic, hurried quality of many of the previous turbic choruses. They sing, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. In a broad 6-4 meter and in B-flat major, the chorus strides forth confidently, with almost a dance-like quality, as the orchestral accompaniment superimposes almost constant 16th note runs. This yields to a quick recitative from Pilate in which he declares, What I have written, I have written. A chorale is next, the text based on the third verse of the chorale, I Want to Bid You Farewell, by Valerius Herberger, written in 1613. The familiar melody is by Melchior Teskner. The text is, In the depths of my heart, your name and cross alone shine at every moment, making me able to rejoice. Let me see the image to console me in my distress of how you, Lord Christ, so patiently shed your blood in death. The text speaks of the death of Christ as the Christian's consolation, and, accordingly, the setting, despite some emotive touches in the final phrases, is calm and reaffirming. The evangelist recitative that follows tells of the soldiers, having crucified Jesus, begin to divide his clothes, but they find that the robe is seamless and cannot be divided. This launches directly into an unusual chorus representing the soldiers who sing, Let us not tear it, but cast lots whose it should be. It's really quite a distinctive chorus. In C major and 3-4 time, the theme begins with a series of repeated eighth notes in the first bar, and almost jaunty syncopated leaps in the second. The third measure returns to eighth notes now, moving by step, and the fourth increases the momentum dramatically by swirling up an undulating scale passage in sixteenth notes. Meanwhile, the theme is being subject to fugal imitation. Each voice, tenors, altos, and sopranos, each leaping in one bar after another, all this against pumping arpeggio figures in the orchestral accompaniment. 
This frenetic, almost frantic fugal activity eventually breaks off for a contrasting episode. But the episode doesn't contrast very much, and the repeated note motive and even the sweeping 16th note passage continue to echo through the texture. This goes on for longer than one might expect for a single line of text, but eventually the fugal invitation re-enters and we speed to a cadence. The effect is quite remarkable musically and almost seems worthy of a more substantial bit of text. The evangelist then returns with another recitative. In this way the scripture was fulfilled, where it is said, They have divided my clothing among them, and they have cast lots for my coat. This is what the soldiers did. The tone is straightforward and unemotional at first, but soon switches gears. The tempo is slowed, and the harmony becomes more chromatic as the evangelist continues. There stood by Jesus' cross his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple that he loved standing next to her, but Jesus' own words are actually rendered less emotionally. His tone is gentle but resigned. He said to his mother, Woman, look, this is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Look, this is your mother. The next chorale is a familiar one. The melody is by Volpius, and we've heard it before in the chorale commenting on Peter's denial of Christ. Again, following traditional Lutheran theology, the tone is of acceptance and even hope rather than grief. He thought carefully of everything in his last hour. He was concerned for his mother, chose someone to look after her. O man, act justly, love God and mankind, that you can die without sorrow and need not grieve. Amen. 
The next recitative, shared by the evangelist and Jesus, is also, perhaps surprisingly, largely neutral in its emotional tone. And from that hour the disciple took her to himself. Then, as Jesus knew that all had been accomplished, so the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. There was a jar of vinegar. They filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on a hyssop and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had taken the vinegar, he said, It is accomplished. But the next story is by no means emotionally neutral. It is a remarkable study in melancholy. But more than that, it's a study of a believer striving to see victory in Jesus' death, but, at first, failing to do so after repeated attempts. The text taken from Postel is, It is accomplished. What comfort for all suffering souls. The night of sorrow now reaches its final hours. The aria for alto soloist and continuo and prominently featuring a viola da gamba is in B minor, common time, and usually taken at a languid tempo. The opening ritonello sums up the essence of the movement, or at least the first half of the movement, within just four measures. The thin, vulnerable tone of the gamba combines with a series of long, drooping melodic lines, all of them replete with poignant non-harmonic tones. The underlying harmonic progression is not extraordinary, although deceptive cadences do play an important role from time to time, and box modulations take us briefly into major keys periodically. But the pervasiveness of the often painful non-harmonic tones, coming in some measures on every accented downbeat, provides a sense of pathos that is unmatched in the St. John Passion. Here is the opening instrumental ritornello. When the alto soloist enters, the gamba continues with its drooping, pathos-ridden lines echoing the vocal melody, which shares many of its thematic features. As in the opening ritonello, the alto's melody struggles bravely to ascend from time to time, particularly in association with the word trust or comfort, but these victories are short-lived. It is the night of sorrow in its final hours that ultimately controls the mood of the first half of the aria. Thank you. 
The instrumental ritonello following the first section, however, transports us to D major and ushers in a dramatically different second section. As the text proclaims, the hero from Judah triumphs in his might and brings the strife to an end. With a tempo change to vivace and triple meter, we are treated to what appears to be something akin to a Handelian triumphal victory aria, the melody of which skyrockets through triadic figures in the key of D major at the mention of the hero's triumphs, and at the reference to strife, engages in robust, confident, and rather martial-sounding passages of sixteenth notes. But it is all too brief, cut off in mid-flight, as the original duple meter and adagio tempo reassert themselves, the alto declares, Es ist vollbracht, it is finished, and we return to the pathos of the opening section, the viola da gamba once again carrying the burden until the last measure of the aria where the alto soloist once again proclaims, It is finished. It's an aria of great impact, and it manages to combine the two most powerful Christian reactions to Jesus' death. We'll hear from the beginning of the second section through to the conclusion. In a single line, the following evangelist recitative described Jesus' death, and he bowed his head and passed away. This darkest of moments is followed by the most beautiful of pastoral arias, sung by the bass soloist with exquisite accompaniment from the chorus. The text, again by Brokus, is addressed to the crucified Christ and asks, Now that all has been accomplished through your pain and death, can I inherit the kingdom of heaven? Although the text is questioning, the music seems perfectly secure and at peace from beginning to end. For Bach's Lutheran congregational audience, the question, have I been set free from death by your suffering, is not really a question at all. The meter is 12-8, the key D major, and the elegant lilting phrases and delicate ornamentation suggest the gentleness of pastoral arias. 
It is also a continual aria. The continual bass, generally played by a cello, which immediately exposes the main melodic idea that will dominate the aria, is accompanied only by the continual organist, playing chords based on the figured bass symbols beneath the bass part. Exactly how the continual organist realizes its part will differ from one performance to the next. In the simplest realizations, only chords will be played above the bass, but most organists will not be able to resist providing at least a hint of independent melodic activity in counterpoint to the bass line, as is the case in the performance you're going to hear. The cello's opening theme is simplicity itself, mostly playing off arpeggios based on the D major tonic chord, but also featuring a large ascending leap to the third of the dominant chord, decorated with a gentle trill. The bass soloist enters after just two measures, duplicating the cello's first measure, but quickly moving on to new melodic ideas, repeating a variant of one favorite three-note ascending motive again and again. Meanwhile, the cello carries on with new triplet-based ideas, mostly based on triadic arpeggios, but never completely leaving behind motives from its original two-bar melody, especially the large leap to a trilled note. But the most compelling feature of this great aria is provided by the chorus, which, beginning halfway through the fourth measure, quietly sings the familiar chorale by Vulpius, Jesus' suffering, pain, and death, against the bass soloist and continuo, phrase by phrase, separated by passages devoted to the contrapuntal interaction between the continuo bass, played by the cello, and the bass soloist alone. We'll hear the opening of the aria. As the aria proceeds, there are a number of modulations, including some to minor keys, where the text references Jesus' pain and death, and the musical tone is somewhat less tranquil. And as phrases of the chorale return again and again, it often appears as if the chorale takes precedence and the bass's increasingly ornate line is merely an embellishment of it. But in the end, the original theme returns in both the bass solo and the cello as the aria ends beautifully the way it began. But the narrative darkens again immediately with the evangelist's next recitative. And see, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks split, and the graves opened, and many bodies of saints stood up. Musically, Bach has engineered a ferocious setting for this text. Though nominally starting in D major, the evangelist's melody rips frantically through a series of arpeggios on the way to E minor, 
and when the earth shakes, it does so in the unusual chord of B-flat major, a tritone distant from E minor, although it eventually makes its way back to E minor for a final ominous chord. And, of course, Bach orchestrates the imagery of the text with convincing vigor. The tearing of the temple curtain is evoked by a fortissimo scale-wise plunge in 32nd notes, and the shaking of the earth depicted by thunderous tremolos. This sort of overt and not particularly subtle word painting is not all that common in Bach, but it is quite effective here. The next tenor arioso doesn't match the intensity level of the previous recitative, but it certainly has its dramatic passages. Based on another text by Brockus, it begins in G major with a reasonably calm devotional tone. But there is an undercurrent of agitation right from the beginning, and as soon as the text refers to the whole world suffering as Jesus suffers, the G major tonality begins to be undermined moving first to C minor and then, eventually, and after a circuitous route to D minor, with a number of dissonant chords along the way. And when the text refers back to the tearing of the veil, the splitting of the rocks, the earthquakes, and the opening of the graves, we encounter dramatic gestures not unlike the previous recitative. The text is, My heart, while the whole world suffers as Jesus suffers, the sun is clothed in mourning, the veil is torn, the rocks split, the earthquakes, graves gape open because they behold the Creator grown cold in death. For your part, what will you do? While the most overt dramatic gestures have been purged for the next aria, for soprano and orchestra, there remains nevertheless more than a hint of solemn tragedy rather than hope or consolation. The text by an unknown author is, Dissolve my heart in floods of tears to honor the Almighty. Tell the world in heaven your distress, your Jesus is dead. In F minor and 3A time, the aria prominently features a recorder and oboe da caccia as obligato instruments, frequently playing together in parallel sixths. The two obligato instruments introduce the melody in the opening ritonello, a poignant one, like so many Bach composed over a descending bass line. Once again, non-harmonic tones play a major role in establishing the affecting tone of the aria. As usual, when the soprano soloist enters, she draws from the originello themes without duplicating them, while the two obligato instruments constantly return to their opening motives in intervening originellos and in counterpoint with the soloist generally more slow-moving melodic lines.
Perhaps surprisingly, when the text reaches, Tell the world in heaven your distress, your Jesus is dead, a variant of the soprano's melody is stated in a more serene F major. Although Bach moves quickly into other tonal areas and the serenity is short-lived, still, Bach makes the point. The death of Jesus is bittersweet to the believer, and behind the bitterness of his death lies the sweetness of hope. Next comes one of the last two lengthy recitatives from the evangelist, which bring the narrative to a close. He describes how the soldiers came to break the legs of those who had been crucified, but finding Jesus already dead, they pierced his side with a spear from which flowed blood and water. This is followed by another chorale, the melody heard earlier in the first chorale of Part Two of the Passion, and based on a text by Michael Weisse. O help us, Christ, God's Son, through your bitter suffering, so that always obedient to you, we may shun all wrongdoing, and thinking of your death and its cause, we may profit from our reflections, and in this way, however poor and inadequate it may be, give you an offering of thanks. The final recitative from the evangelist concludes the narrative. Joseph of Arimathea is allowed to take away the body of Jesus. He and Nicodemus take the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes with spices. And Jesus was laid by them in a tomb in the garden by the place where he was crucified. We'll hear the first part of that recitative. <laughs> Pilatum Josef von Arimathea, der ein jünger Jesu war, doch heimlich aus Furcht vor den Juden, dass er möchte abnehmen den Leichnam Jesu. Und Pilatus erlaubte es, 
The final chorus is a somber one in C minor in 3-4 time, but it is also peaceful and comfortingly lyrical. Following the introductory orchestral ritonello, the text begins, Rest in peace, you sacred limbs, I shall weep for you no more. Rest in peace, and bring me also to rest. The first section concludes on a fermata, after which a middle section adds some melodic variety, a change of key, and a new text. The grave that is allotted to you and contains no further suffering opens heaven for me and shuts off hell. Appropriately, given Bach's background and the importance of chorales to the Lutheran tradition and the need for the congregation to have an immediate and more personalized experience as the entire work is concluded, we close the cantata with a chorale. The text by Martin Schelling is, Ah, Lord, let your dear angels at my final hour carry my soul to Abraham's bosom, while my body in its narrow chamber, gently without pain or torment, rests until the last day. Wake me then from death, so that my eyes see you in all joy. O God, Son, my Savior and throne of mercy, Lord Jesus Christ, hear me. I shall praise you eternally. We'll hear the first part of the chorale. Needless to say, the St. John Passion is one of Bach's greatest choral works and, therefore, one of the greatest choral works in the history of music. But what makes it a great work? First of all, let's consider the individual component parts. 
Bach's recitatives fluently and efficiently project St. John's narrative and at times imbue it with great passion and intensity. Bach's wide range of arias in different styles and forms are perfectly matched to the quality of the emotional reflection at hand. Some of those arias are immensely atmospheric and, as in some recitatives, demonstrate a wide array of imaginative and powerful word-painting techniques, as well as a diversified use of accompanying instruments. Bach provides an equally diversified group of choruses, widely varied in mood and texture, and all perfectly attuned to the dramatic situation. And finally, Bach's use of chorales. The chorales, historically of immense importance to the Lutheran tradition, provide an opportunity for communal expression of devotional feelings and instruction and encouragement for the Christian. Furthermore, they give a sense of connection and participation to the members of the congregation as individuals, a connection that stands even to this day for listeners familiar to some degree with that tradition. Bach has taken these component parts and woven together a masterpiece of narrative based on St. John's biblical account of the Passion, the dramatic integrity of the work, as well as the striking originality and creativity of its individual parts, have made the work attractive to generations of listeners, even those with little personal interest in the religious perspective it embodies. My apologies for running a bit long today. For our next episode, we'll tackle some less formidable, but still very attractive, keyboard works by Bach. <laughs> 